0: Well, we're coming uh, to the end of this series that we have been doing, uh, Jesus, Gender, and Sexuality. Uh, this is the last, uh, the last one this morning, uh, and our reading this morning is from Matthew uh, chapter 19, verse 1 through to verse 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him there, and he healed them. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So, they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. This is the word of the Lord.
1: As we stand, let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, how we need to know that you are faithful to all your promises. Thank you that you are one God, revealing yourself ultimately in the Lord Jesus, but to us in the scriptures, by the power of the Spirit written afresh onto our hearts. We praise you for you, revealed yourself to Moses as full of love and faithfulness and came in Christ full of grace and truth. And so we pray today, Lord, that we may so know you in grace and truth in Jesus and walk in your ways, that we may know you, know your blessing and be your witnesses to a watching world. For your name's sake we ask it. Amen. Amen. I do please be seated and welcome to uh, you this morning. Uh, Perhaps some of you are here visiting. Uh, uh, The holiday season is nearly upon us, uh, in which case uh, a very warm welcome to you. Uh, Welcome to those of you who are online. Perhaps some are away from the congregation and joining us uh, that way. Well, a special welcome to you uh, as well. If you've not been here for the last few weeks, uh, you may not know that we've been in a series, uh, a thematic series, Jesus, Gender and Sexuality. Uh, As we come to the sixth of the six of those, uh, I'm grateful that I've not had to use my emergency exit over here uh, to flee the building as we tackle these uh, difficult uh, and painful and, in terms of a watching world, highly contentious subjects. Uh, I've also been particularly thankful uh, to those of you who've engaged in the uh, small group we've had after each week uh, as we've explored some of these uh, subjects further, And uh, thank you to those uh, who've asked questions, uh, including those who've done so anonymously or by email, uh, as well as in the conversations we've had. We'll have one last uh, set of those conversations uh, after the service today, again up here uh, in the side chapel. If you wish to ask a question, then you may do so in person, or you can use the Slido uh, facility, which uh, some weeks, there's been a few on there, other weeks uh, less so. But it's there if you would like to ask a question uh, about anything I'm going to say today. Uh, or uh, anything that I've said in previous weeks. Uh, I am deeply conscious as we come to the end of this six-week series uh, that a a six-week sermon series, uh, when you're at the front of it as a preacher, it looks like an enormous terrain that you're about to uh, traverse. As you come towards the end of it, you realize you've only begun, really, to move around a little in the foothills. Uh, There is so much that we've just not been able to explore together. Uh, particularly uh, areas of application, uh, largely, of course, because those vary so much uh, depending on the individual circumstances uh, of our lives. So just as I'm introducing this last sermon, let me uh, emphasize what I hope has been plain. We're not here just for questions. We're here for each other. We're here because we want to love and support one another and particularly to help one another to hear the word of God uh, for healing and also for our sanctification. Uh, So if there's been something that perhaps you've been uncomfortable about or that's raised uh, a difficult issue for you, uh, then please don't just let that go back into the cupboard undealt with. Uh, Come and talk to me or to John or to someone else on the staff team uh, or a trusted Christian friend in the congregation and share and allow yourself uh, to be prayed for uh, as we find the Lord's healing and will for our lives in these things. These are some of the deepest issues for any of us. They go to the core of our being and because we're rebels, they go to the core of our rebellion and sin as well. Our need for the Lord's forgiveness and healing for his will to be made clear and his spirit to enable us to walk in it is perhaps nowhere more profound than in these subjects we've been looking at together. So uh, that's enough by way of general introduction, Though as we come to this final sermon in the series, I want to take us back to our motto, Walking in Truth living in love. It seems to me as we come towards the end uh, that actually uh, those two poles that we've set ourselves, uh, not of our own initiative because this is particularly how the Apostle John speaks uh, of who God is in Christ, full of grace and truth and calling us to know him and to walk in uh, his truth and to live together in his love. It is so vital that we hold those two together in these contested and painful areas of gender and sexuality, of marriage, divorce, and singleness, and remarriage, and all the other associated subjects as well. So consider these verses, which I know are familiar to us, but particularly so, uh, because in our small groups, we studied them together uh, only a year or so ago. Jesus says to us, And he says to us, specifically in those areas where our conscience convicts us that we have fallen short in being a man or woman of God, in our sexual sin, in whatever it may be that the Lord lays on your heart. At that point where he shows you that which you need to repent of and that which shames you, precisely at that point he says, come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In Jesus is limitless mercy. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Everything that we have discussed, every falling short of the divine purpose and plan, of which we are all guilty in some way, is met in the grace, the limitless grace of Jesus. He says to us, bruised and broken, sinful and ashamed, come to me and I will not turn you away. Instead, I will give you rest. But notice what else he says in those same famous verses. He also says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is our high calling as well. We were studying at a couple of points Paul's teaching in 1 Thessalonians 4, it is God's will that you should be sanctified. And we need to hear that truth as well. And so we do not diminish the mercy of God. None of us is beyond it if we will come to Jesus and receive it. But neither do we compromise, either with our own sinful instincts or the prevailing culture of our world, and try and reduce that to which we are called. Jesus says, also in Matthew's gospel, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. We are those who need both grace and truth, both to live in love together as broken sinners renewed by the gospel of the Lord Jesus, and encouraging one another against our own instincts, and certainly against the world around us, to receive as good news the calling of God to pursue sanctification in these areas. We have a limitless limitless mercy in the gospel and a high calling as well as we seek to put these things into practice. Uh, Last week, uh, we considered Jesus' marriage. Uh, For this reason, uh, Paul said, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then we explored the shock of what he says next in Ephesians 5. This is a profound mystery, But I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul, I thought you were talking about a man and his wife. No, he says the profound mystery is Jesus' marriage to his bride, the church. Or in Old Testament terms, Yahweh's or the Lord's marriage to his people, Israel. One God, one people, phrased differently in those different covenants, new and old. As we explored that together last week, we saw that Jesus' marriage to his people is established and sustained by his self-sacrificial love that always meets us with fresh mercy and calls us to live with new repentance. His infallible purpose is to present us to himself holy and blameless. And although the word is not used, the glorious truth is, is that as the prophets testify, as Jesus testifies, as his apostles testify, God's marriage is indissoluble. Although, as we explored last week, the Lord may divorce his people for a season for their sins, he will never take another bride. He remains their husband, and he calls them to new repentance and to fresh mercy. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. Also last week, now we move into this week. Not Jesus' marriage, but Jesus and Marriage, And today we will focus uh, on this one passage that uh, John read out for us, Matthew 19 verses 1 to 12. Uh, we won't be jumping around so much as we have done in previous weeks. There is more than enough uh, for us to consider this morning uh, in these words, this in conversation that Jesus has uh, with the Pharisees and with his disciples, with the crowd around uh, as well. And so as we come to this passage, uh, we've got every kind of human being uh, at some level in this conversation. Just as for us, uh, we have a watching world all around us of people who are not Christians but who know, if they begin to explore it or uh, begin to come into our church, that the Bible has some pretty distinctive things to say about God's purposes for gender and sexuality. It's the crowd, the ones to whom we are called to bear witness. Uh, We know also that there are the Pharisees. That is, there are those uh, who will come to the word of God uh, not looking uh, to humble themselves under it and simply by God's grace to obey it, but rather to come looking for loopholes, looking for ways to justify themselves And to accommodate the scriptures via clever argumentation, uh, both to their own sinful desires and to the prevailing culture of the established church, which itself so often reflects the culture rather than the scriptures. And then there are the disciples, those who are sitting under Jesus' teaching, who have their questions and who long to hear his word, and then when he gives it, know how much we need his grace and strength to begin to obey it. So all of those groups are here, and we see Jesus engaging with all of them. Let's go through Matthew 19. If you've got it open, uh, that will be really helpful uh, for you. So Matthew 19. Uh, Many of the themes of our series will resurface. Uh, The asking of difficult questions, uh, the stating and exploring of God's purposes in gender and sexuality, marriage and singleness, Uh, Although, as uh, in previous weeks, we will only touch on these things fairly briefly. Uh, And then we will consider what is perhaps Jesus' most difficult teaching uh, around marriage and divorce. Uh, And the fuller uh, version in which Mark gives us uh, his teaching, Jesus says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Jesus teaching that remarriage following divorce was adulterous was completely new in the uh, conversation that the Jews were having in the first century, uh, and it is one of his distinctive additions, uncomfortably distinctive additions uh, to what it means uh, to follow him as our Lord. So we will explore this together. Now let's begin at the beginning, verse uh, as one and two. Uh, introduce us to a journey that is beginning to head towards Jerusalem. That's what the geographical notes mean uh, in verse 1, leaving Galilee, going into the region of Judea on the other side of the Jordan. Uh, This is Jesus beginning to head towards the opposition, the trial, and ultimately the cross, where he will give his life. I don't think it's insignificant, therefore, that as Jesus begins to head towards increasing suffering and increasing polarization between the world and that which his disciples must adhere to. So he comes to this topic of marriage, divorce and remarriage. But notice verse 2, At large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Many People who are sincere Christians but who find themselves married again after divorce have told me over the years just how much they dread reading this passage and its equivalents in Mark 10 and Luke 16. Jesus' language of remarriage after divorce pierces through to the heart of the humble follower of Jesus. Notice the context here. Jesus is still the healer. Jesus' purpose for you, in whatever state you find yourself as you come to church this morning, willingly single or unwillingly single, married, happily or unhappily, divorced, remarried, in whatever state you come to church this morning, God's grace meets you today where you are. That's something we've covered again and again in the question time after the service. God's grace never, or God never says to us, well, I would have healed and forgiven you if only you'd made different choices yesterday. The gospel always meets us where we are today. And wherever we are today is at least in significant part because of a combination of foolish and sinful choices that we have made. And the longer we've lived, the more foolish and sinful choices uh, we have taken and that's not just true of those who find themselves uh, in a, a perhaps a more obvious place, remarried after divorce, uh, in the particular subject we're looking at this morning. That's true of all of us. But What is true of all of us is that Jesus comes to heal us. Jesus comes to renew us. He comes to meet us as one who is gentle and lowly in heart. And he says, come to me. Whatever burden we bear, even if the burden It's the twinge we have when we read his own words. He calls us that we might come to him and know his renewal, his peace, his forgiveness, and a fresh start in his grace. I'll notice that note here uh, in verse 2, but if you uh, read as we have uh, glanced, uh, glancingly looked at as well, uh, because that was uh, very much the theme of uh, week 2, the story of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well uh, is a a wonderful worked-through example of this. Perhaps uh, you might want to read that yourself again afterwards if these words cause you particular pain. As you read through John 4, uh, Jesus' longest encounter with any individual, uh, this sinful and rejected and broken woman, his first word is one of grace. The water I give him or her will become in him or her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus' first word to us is grace. But then he goes on to say to her, she must confront her own sin. She must repent of it. She must now turn to follow him. The fact is, Jesus says to that woman, you've had five husbands. The man you're now with, you're cohabiting. He's not your husband. But he confronts her with that truth. Not that she might be condemned. He's just uh, assured her that she is filled with living water and therefore knows cleansing and new life in him. But without dealing with the reality of our sin in repentance and attaching that to our faith, We will never come to the purpose of Jesus coming into this world, which is that we might worship the Lord, that we might know him. And so he says to her, a time is coming and has now come. He looks this woman in the eye and says, this time has come. It's come for you to worship the Lord in spirit and truth. You see again how we must hold grace and truth together and never think that his grace will fail. Well, so is the context uh, in that crowd broken uh, broken bruised people just like us who've made a whole series of uh, bad decisions in our lives jesus comes to heal Well, then there are the Pharisees in verse 3. They did not listen to my first sermon in this series. Uh, Well, of course they couldn't. They were living 2,000 years ago. Uh, But uh, here is a great example of doing exactly the opposite of what I encourage you to do back in week 1. Some Pharisees came to test Jesus. They didn't come because they yearned to know the will of God for their own lives. They came to trip him up. They came to test him and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Again, there's a, a note here that uh, only the careful readers who take account of the geography will notice. A great subject, geography, well worthy of study. Uh, Jesus now is in the territory of Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas had Jesus' cousin and forerunner, John the Baptist, after whom our church is named, decapitated. For preaching that Herod Antipas should not marry Herodias. You see, Herodias had divorced her first husband. And so when the Pharisees look at Jesus in the territory of Herod Antipas and say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Well, they're just trying to get Jesus to go through the same fate that John has already experienced. They want him to hang himself by his words. There's an evil uh, to their hearts in posing the question this way. Uh, It doesn't mean it's wrong to ask the question. It means the important thing is what's going on in your heart as we come with these questions. Are you asking because you want to follow the Lord? Because you yearn to know his grace and to walk obediently in his ways? Well, then he'll answer and he'll help you live the answer he gives. Are you coming because you want to align our ethics with those of the world, make us look a little bit less uh, polarized around uh, the culture around us? Are you asking because you want to justify yourself and your own choices? Well, then those questions will not yield spiritually beneficial answers. But the question also comes uh, because of a live theological debate between the liberals who followed one Rabbi Hillel and the conservatives who followed one Rabbi Shammai. Again, it's very familiar, isn't it? If you know anything of the broader scene uh, in the churches, uh, you'll know that these debates between the liberals and the conservatives uh, rage to this day. But everyone agreed, and this is striking, uh, well, whatever your theological stripe, that divorce brought the right to marry again. Everyone in the first century thought that, just as most people think that today. And Jesus' words will be even more striking when we come to them because of that uh, prevailing understanding. So Jesus comes to teach about what marriage is. Uh, Jesus will not discuss divorce and its human grounds before expounding marriage and its divine purposes, neither should we. He models for us the way to engage in these debates, whether they're in the public square, as uh, this one was for the Lord Jesus, uh, or whether uh, we're wrestling with these things for ourselves. And notice Jesus' uh, next teaching, verses 4 through to 6, corresponds to our last three weeks. Uh, Here is gender. At the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. We explored that in week 3. Here is sexuality. A man, his wife, one flesh. We explored that in week 4 marriage they are no longer two but one and the picturing that is of the grand marriage between the lord and his people that was last week so really this passage uh, says it all uh, and uh, has laid out the framework for all we've been doing together and so jesus speaks to the pharisees uh, not to the crowds not to the disciples uh, this is him, as it were, modelling for us at uh, the engagement in a synodical debate rather than teaching in a school assembly or in the quietness of the pastoral conversation. And uh, it's strikingly provocative what he says. Haven't you read, he says to these Pharisees, schooled for decades in the scriptures, uh, haven't you read Genesis 1 and 2? Jesus says to them, uh, it was not designed uh, to calm them down. But it does rather make a point, doesn't it? I would love to stand up uh, in these interminable debates through the decades in the General Synod of the Church of England and simply say, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh? In the end, as we constantly seek to rewrite the moral agenda of the Church of England, that is all that needs to be said. The Pharisees will crop up again and again in our hearts and in every generation. Jesus' crisp and provocative answer is a model for us. It's not the only way to engage, but neither should we ignore it. Jesus' teaching here is foundational. And though I won't read it all out, it is worth just saying that this is still where Our church, the Church of England, stands. Uh, The Church of England affirms, according to our Lord's teaching, that marriage is in its nature a union permanent and lifelong, for better, for worse, till death do them part of one man with one woman, and so on. So at least until now, pray that it will still be so in two and five and ten and a hundred years' time if the Lord tarots. Our church says, because Jesus said this in Matthew 19, this is where we stand is terrifying isn't it that we could even begin to think that we could open that question again when Jesus has spoken so plainly. So what must we do? Well we must hold to it, we must teach it and we must live it. This is part at least of Jesus' yoke for the merit and so we must teach it. I won't go through these uh, in detail, I'm conscious of time, uh, but uh, Before the pandemic, we haven't established uh, the pattern again quite yet. Uh, Here are some uh, examples of the way that I teach this uh, in our church school to year nine. Uh, uh, Jesus' teaching on marriage involves a leaving. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. Uh, A marriage begins with an ending. Uh, There is a change in loyalties and priorities, and a new family is being created. The law recognizes that by seeing your closest relative as your spouse. I say not dwelling on this uh, here because these things, I hope, are familiar to us. Leaving is followed by uniting. The two uh, will be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. And one flesh means uh, one family. And it means one person, Uh, your husband or wife is your kindred, Uh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And it says Adam to Eve, you are now most closely related by God to the person you have married. And it also means, and we always have some fun with this with classes full of 14-year-olds, sex. Uh, One flesh means what it says. It means a man and a woman created uh, to, together uh, but separately to reflect the image of God are reunited physically in a way that symbolizes and seals uh, this union that God has given us. And it is God who has given it. God has joined together a man and a woman. So we leave, we unite, and we guard. Uh, therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate And we would spend another series exploring this. Perhaps we should. Uh, We hear in the prophets, uh, guard yourself in your spirit. Do not break faith with the wife of your youth. From the passage we looked at last week, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. The wife must respect her husband. Friends, these foundational teachings of what marriage is in God's purposes come directly and plainly from the teaching of the Lord Jesus where he himself anchors them in the unchanging revelation of God from the creation. We must teach this. We must hold to it. We must not be ashamed of it. And we must live it in our own lives. This is what we are called to uh, as Christians, as we bear witness to this, and for married Christians to demonstrate to a watching world. But we must come back to the context Uh, The answer to the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife, for any and every reason, has been given by Jesus. The answer is no. That's what he says. His answer is, from the beginning it was not so. Look at the creator's intention, which abides to this day. Well, the Pharisees are unsatisfied, and perhaps they're not the only ones. Why, then, did Moses uh, command a man, uh, give his wife a certificate of divorce, And send her away. He's alluding to uh, a law in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Ask me about it in the questions uh, if you wish. Uh, But they misread the law. And Jesus corrects their uh, biblical understanding. uh, And more significantly still he reads their hearts. Notice the Pharisees say why did Moses command? And Jesus says Moses permitted. It's very different isn't it? Moses never gave a command to divorce. But he did bring various permissions, of which this one is the most significant in terms of understanding Jesus' teaching. That Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but not just the reason. Because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. When Jesus says the real problem here is the hardness of the human heart, he speaks a word that convicts all of us. Because this is the state of the natural human heart. Uh, I don't often give you Greek, uh, but uh, the word for hard hearts, it's a single word, uh, sclerocardia. You may have heard uh, the English uh, word um, uh, scleroderma, meaning hardness of the skin. Uh, And we've all heard of the word cardiac, uh, meaning heart. Well, sclerocardia, hardness of heart, Jesus says. He puts his finger on that as the problem. Not just for those who want a divorce, but as his diagnosis of the root cause of all our ills and all our alienation from God and from each other. He's much clearer about that further on in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 15. But when he uses that word, he's alluding to what the prophet Jeremiah had spoken many centuries ago. Before, uh, where he himself had been given the message from the Lord that would convict his people. Jeremiah had said, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord, circumcise literally your sclerocardia, your hard hearts, because sin is serious and God will judge it. And what is the answer? Well, the answer is the gospel. The answer is the new covenant for later in Jeremiah the Lord says I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord they will be my people and I will be their God they will return to me with all their heart you see what Jesus is doing here with the Pharisees and with us you see we want softer laws laws that don't convict us or at least don't convict most of us We don't tend to mind if the odd egregious sinner falls uh, away. And in some ways that makes us feel better. We want softer laws. We want a lower threshold. Jesus says, no, the problem is not your desire for softer laws and a lower bar. Your problem is that you have a hard heart and you need the Lord to soften it. And that's exactly why he's come. He's on his way to Jerusalem to fulfill the promise of a new heart to know me. A new covenant that will bring cleansing and renewal for all of us. Those who find ourselves like Pharisees with outwardly conformist lives. And those who know ourselves to have gone a long way off the track. We are united in the hardness of our hearts. And we're united in our call to know the only one who can give us new hearts and cleanse us from all that is wicked within us. Only a renewed heart, you see, can bear Jesus' yoke. It was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. I know these words are hard, dreadfully so. And the main point is painfully clear. Remarriage following divorce is adulterous. That's Jesus' teaching and it contradicts absolutely the understanding in the first century just as it does in the 21st. But we must understand what he is saying. He's not saying that divorce is unforgivable but rather he is saying that the marriage bond between a man and his wife is unbreakable save by death because it pictures God's unbreakable bond to his people. Remember the big picture of which our marriages are, as it were, a shadow? The big picture is that God is indissolubly committed to his bride. And so for those who come to know the Lord, well, then we are under this higher calling as well, to know the reality that the only way in which we will be severed in that marriage bond is by death. And so with that new heart, we're ready to hear Jesus' words. If a man divorces his wife and marries another, well then he commits adultery. In this though, there is that exception clause except for marital unfaithfulness. There is an exception in which a person may divorce their spouse. After all, God himself divorces his spouse because of her unfaithfulness. Uh, um, That's language particularly strong in the prophets. But Does such a divorce leave a person free to remarry? Well, consider what God does. This is what we were looking at last week, and I think this is why our why Jesus' teaching is only really understood when we see it in that whole Bible context. Because, of course, God never marries another, but rather He woos and He forgives and He restores and He renews His one bride. His one people. And so for Christians, uh, as marriage pictures this indissoluble uh, bond that God has with his people, uh, Jesus' apostle Paul applies this, applies Jesus' teaching to our marriages when he says this in 1 Corinthians 7, to the married, I give this command, not I but the Lord. Uh, That is, he recalls this passage, Jesus' teaching on divorce and remarriage. A wife must not separate from her husband. What if she does, Paul? Well, if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled. And a husband must not divorce his wife. And doubtless the same logic then uh, would follow. If he does, he must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to his wife. That only really makes sense when we realize that the marriages that we are called to live are the reflections of God's own marriage to his people to which he is indissolubly committed and the fact that he is so committed to us in grace is the only reason that any of us will make it to glory because his grace will never fail his mercy will always extend to us where we are today nevertheless the disciples are as disturbed as we are they say to him if this is the situation between a husband and wife it's better not to marry rather an overreaction to uh, Jesus' teaching, Uh, but he doesn't disagree, he doesn't agree with that overreaction, but he does take it as an opportunity to take his own teaching further. The reality is, he says, some are given a hard calling. Some are given this hard calling uh, of imposed singleness, and he gives three Uh, examples of that. Each, uh, in spite of the translation in the NIV, under the language of becoming a eunuch, Uh, renouncing marriage uh, because of the kingdom of heaven, in verse 12, is literally making themselves eunuchs because of the kingdom of heaven. And so here, as we touched on in the week on gender, we see the reality in a fallen world that some people are born this way. Uh, Here is an allusion to the reality of intersex conditions and disorders of sexual development. Some people in a fallen world uh, are born without normal sexual function or confusion uh, over their gender. It doesn't mean uh, that we aren't made male and female as Jesus teaches us. But it does mean in a fallen world we need the Lord's grace and to bear with each other to support one another With those conditions. Or he gives a second example some are made that way by men. Remember, we considered the story of the Ethiopian eunuch uh, almost certainly made that way, quite literally, as an infant, in order that he might grow up uh, as a safe male in the court of the queen, uh, unable uh, to uh, spoil the royal succession or to interfere uh, with the royal ladies. It's been a a dreadful practice in a number of uh, cultures. Uh, Through human history. Uh, Some have been made that way by others. Then comes to the one category that Jesus says is new and applies to his followers. Some have made themselves eunuchs because of the kingdom of heaven. In other words, some have realized that Jesus' teaching means that for a person who is now divorced, they must now accept as God's will for them that he does not wish for them to marry again during the lifetime of a former spouse. So for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, metaphorically as it were, not literally, uh, they have renounced marriage. That's where the translation we have is I think a right interpretation of what Jesus literally says. Is this easy? Not a bit of it. Is it clear? I think it is. Well, what therefore do we need? We need to accept this. Because it is Jesus teaching to us, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, as Jesus says elsewhere. And that means not just to the divorced or to the remarried, but to the single and the married, we need to hear Jesus calling to us. Some of us are married, and unhappily so. I know as uh, someone I was talking to uh, a little while ago uh, was saying to me the reason, the the ultimate reason on the bad days and in the uh, difficult seasons that they stay married is because as a Christian they know there is no other option. Were they to leave their wife, it would never be God's will for them to marry another. That's quite a testimony, isn't it? There are better reasons, uh, more romantic reasons, one hopes uh, to sustain marriage as well. But as a bedrock, it's good to know that marriage really is for life and that Jesus really means it when he says, there is no remarriage after divorce for my followers. There is a hard calling here uh, for those who are single or divorced uh, and just as there is for those who are married unhappily. What, therefore, must we do? Well, we must walk in truth and live in love. That is, we need to encourage one another. All of us have strains and difficulties, whether we're single or married, uh, in our homes and in our hearts. We need to bear with one another, uh, bearing our burdens, uh, standing with one another, walking with one another through the hard times. That's why we meet in small groups. It's why we gather here. That's why we come endlessly to confess our sins Confess the hardness of our own hearts and rely again on the new heart that God gives us in Jesus. Friends, these words are not easy for any of us. How we need the Lord's help in hearing his word. And so as we come to an end of this series, an end of today, let us pray. Father, I just want to pause for a moment. We left our own hearts to you. Our own lives. Our own burdens. Our own hidden pain, very often. Our own guilt. Our own weakness. And we cry out to you, Lord, to have mercy upon us. We thank you that you came to heal us. You came to call us to discover that you are gentle and humble in heart and that we will find rest for our souls only in you. And so would you draw us to yourself. And as you do, would you so fill us with your spirit, so clarify our minds as we sit under your word, so give us of your strength that we do not have in ourselves, that we may take up your yoke. And we may follow your will to live sanctified lives. And we may bring glory to you in both grace and truth. For Jesus' sake. Amen.